Greetings to each of you. It's good to be here. Thank you for your prayers. And continue to pray as we worship together. Special thank you to Brother Philip Martin for working a trade with us. It's all part of a three-way trade between Brother Luke and Brother Philip and I to make it possible for us to go to Jordan, and we appreciate your prayers as it relates to that. We're looking forward to it. The uh, anticipation's building, I think, as we get closer to it. Forward to that. <clears throat> well, in our Sunday school lesson this morning, our teacher asked a number of questions. I don't know, was it eight or nine? He had more to go, but I'd like to start with a question this morning as well. Why did Jesus come to earth? Why did Jesus come to earth? <clears throat> John Swartz? All right. Anyone else? To bring light to light. yes. All that and more. He came for many purposes. In John chapter 10 and verse 10, we find this verse. The thief cometh not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I, Jesus, I am come, they might have life, and they might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. So Jesus came to give us life, abundant life. We could go back, well actually I think I will, turn back just a few chapters to chapter 14 where Jesus made that statement that we all know so well. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 14 verse 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And that's where Thomas was saying, Lord, we know where thou goest. How can we know the way? Jesus said, I am the way, and I am the truth, and I am the life. And I like that statement. Because it encompasses much of what Jesus needed to do when He came. When Eve and Adam fell into sin in the garden, the serpent said, Hath God said? So truth was desecrated there. Jesus came to restore that truth. And in that sin, man's open relationship was broken, so we needed a way back to God. And Jesus is that way back to God. And eternal death entered into the world, and we need someone who could bring us eternal life. And Jesus did that as well. So He can truly say, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Follow Me. Now I'd like for us to think a bit about the battle that rages between the kingdom of Satan and the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And this is an ongoing study for me. Last Sunday at the bank I preached on, uh, we lose, used the... Uh, the situation there with Job and built on that about the, the forces of evil that are, that are coming against us in, in the spiritual realm and then the forces of, of good with God and Jesus Christ as our advocate and our uh, intercessor and then the Holy Spirit also being uh, our advocate. And that blessed me. I'm sure many of you already known this, but I didn't realize until last week when I was studying for that message that the same Greek word that is used for advocate, where Jesus is our advocate, is the word that Jesus used in John 14, 15, and 16 for the Holy Spirit. When He said, it is expedient that I go away, for I go not away, the Comforter will not come. When He says, the Comforter will teach you all things, the Comforter will do this. 
And I believe there's four times in, in John 14, 15, and 16 where he uses the same Greek word that is advocate. And it gave me a beautiful picture in my mind that as Jesus is there at the right hand of the Father interceding and being our advocate for, for our benefit, that while he's communicating with the Father for our behalf, he is also speaking that same uh, encouragement into our lives through the purpose, through the work of the Spirit. So that's a blessing to me. So you go home and study that. But that's that's uh, I got excited about that last week as I was studying that that we have an advocate with the Father, and while He's pleading our case there, He's injecting encouragement into us through the person of the Spirit of our lives. Same word, advocate, comforter. All right, I got a little off track here. Yes, we're in a spiritual warfare. And I'm thinking this morning about the battle that rages between the kingdom of Satan and the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And we know from Ephesians 6, where it says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, and all those things. So it's a very real battle. And there's a kingdom. There's a kingdom of Jesus Christ and then uh, Satan, whether we want to give him full credit for what he said, but when he tempted Jesus there, following Jesus went out and fasted and, and Satan came and tempted him there at the beginning of his ministry, and he told Jesus, he said, if you'll fall down and worship me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of this world. And I don't want to read too much into that, but we do know Satan has somewhat of an influence over the, the evil of this world, the cosmos around us. But for a kingdom to exist, it needs several things to sustain its existence. First, it needs a supreme leader, someone who gives direction, a king, or however you want to, uh, a dictator. It also needs territory, a realm of domain to exist, and it needs subjects to serve that king and support the realm or that domain, that territory. So you think about, you think about, Physical warfare as we know it. Think about World War II. So uh, Hitler and the Nazi regime, they started out and they, they took Austria and they took these little countries around them and it, it built momentum. They kept spreading out and spreading out because territory was power. People was power. And he needed that. And then at, towards the end of World War II, as the Allied armies closed in, they kept regaining it territory and pushing the Nazis back into Germany until they eventually were defeated. So just for a mind picture, that's true. Uh, and I believe in the battle that rages between Satan and the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And when a person uh, surrenders their heart and their life to the Lord Jesus Christ, the kingdom of Jesus Christ gains a subject and it gains territory. Because there's uh, Satan loses that. He loses a subject and he loses territory. And, and there's a battle. And Satan doesn't give up easy, especially in the, in the territory realm. And we change who we serve. When we become a Christian, we serve the Lord Jesus Christ. I'd like for us to look at a number of verses. Let's look at 2 Corinthians, the 10th chapter. 2 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, verses 3 through 5. For we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. The thought of spiritual warfare. 
For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. And I'll stop reading there. So Paul writing to the believers at Corinth and to us today as well, he's telling them we're in a warfare, but the, the weapons of our warfare are not swords and guns. They're not carnal things. They're spiritual things. And they're mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. They're breaking those holds that Satan has in our lives. Through God, there's power to do that. Casting down imagination, every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God, bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. The idea of, of regaining that, taking that territory back from Satan and bringing everything under the, the, uh, the lordship of Jesus Christ, bring it into obedience of Christ, even our thoughts. Bring it all back into captivity to Jesus Christ. Isaiah 40. Isaiah 40, number of verses referring to the warfare. And this is talking about Jerusalem. Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith your God. Speak comfortably unto Jerusalem and cry unto her, that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she hath received of the Lord's hand double for our sins, that the voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God, and every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. Here the prophet Isaiah is crying out. He says, comfort my people. There's a time coming. Speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry unto her. Her warfare is accomplished. There's a time coming. There's a Savior coming. Prepare a way for Him. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. It's just beautiful passages all through Isaiah. Looking for the, for the coming of the Messiah. That kingdom. It will be set up. And yet again in Colossians, the first chapter. Colossians, the first chapter, verses 9 through 14. For this cause also, since the day we heard of it, we do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with all the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding that ye might walk worthy of the Lord into all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might, the word might there, according to His glorious power unto all patience and longsuffering and joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father which has made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints of light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son. Reminds me of what Brother Philip said when I asked the question, why did Jesus come? He said he come to make us meet or to be suitable to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints of light. And in doing that, he has delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. I'd like to think a bit about that delivery. Deliverance from the power of darkness. Going back to World War II again, and I've, I've seen this picture and read, I don't remember where it was years ago. A picture of, of the people of Europe rejoicing in the streets as the Allied armies was marching down after they had retaken portions of Europe. 
People rejoicing in the streets because they'd been freed from the Nazi regime. Think a bit how insignificant that is to us being freed from the control of Satan through the power and the blood of Jesus Christ in our lives. Are we rejoicing in what He has done for us? As, as Satan loses that territory of our lives and God calls it back into Himself through Jesus Christ. When we come out of Satan's kingdom, we need conversion. We need redemption. Someone said redemption this morning. Brian, I believe. We need redemption. And there's a lot in that word. We need restoration and we need healing. Have you ever seen pictures of those uh, poor Jewish people who hadn't made it to the death chamber, the gas chambers yet, and were freed? And there were nothing but skin and bones and they had their number, number tattooed on their arm. They were sentenced to death. Some of them were saved from the, constant, from the gas chambers when the war was ended. But they needed healing. They needed restoration. They needed nourishment. They needed a lot to come back to full health. And as Christians, we need to be nurtured back to health as well. We need to give up all the territory that Satan has taken in our lives and give it back to God through Jesus Christ. So again, why did Jesus come to earth to suffer and to die, to rise again? Was it just to affect our eternal destiny after we die? Or is it also to affect the quality of our life that we yet live here on the earth? It's both. Yes, of course it's to affect our eternal destiny. But it's also to affect the quality of life that we live here in our earthly bodies. As we prepare for eternity with Him. That's why Jesus said, I've come that ye may have life, and ye may have it more abundantly. An abundant life in Christ Jesus. So that raises another question. How do we allow that process to take place in our lives? What begins it? And what role do we uh, have to fulfill it and make it real? To make it reality for each of us. And that's introduction. Now let's go to the text. Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53. Look at a few verses there and then go to Isaiah 61. After 53. Isaiah 53. And you understand this passage. We see the, an accurate portrait, amazingly accurate portrait of our suffering Savior who was yet to come. Isaiah 53, Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form or comeliness, and when, we shall, when, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him, and he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs, he hath carried our sorrows, yet... We did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Now notice verses 5, especially. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. And I'll stop reading there. We understand that Jesus needed to be crucified. 
His blood needed to be shed for the remission of our sins. The Scripture tells us without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. And we see that all the way back in the early sacrifice of the Old Testament. Without the shedding of blood, there was no covering of sin. So we understand that. And John the Baptist stood before the crowd as Jesus walked up and he said, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. The spotless Lamb who would shed His blood. But now my question, and we understand that, He hung on the cross and blood no doubt dripped from His hands and His feet. And then the soldier came and pierced His side and the Scripture tells us that blood and water flowed out. And then we sang, Rock of Ages, cleft for me. Riven side which fly, I can't get it all. From his riven side which flowed, water and blood. Be a sin to double cure. A little Calvinistic there, but anyway. uh, Yeah, we sing about that. We understand that. That blood needed to be shed. That needed to take place. But why the scourging? Why did Jesus need to be tied over that rock or however they did it and whipped and his lacerated and the crown of thorns and and all that suffering that preceded the cross how does that fit into our redemption experience and I don't proclaim to have all the answers to that but I've certainly been thinking about it meditating and studying for, for some time And it says here in verse 5, with His stripes we are healed. That's referring to what took place to His body before He went to the cross. His stripes we are healed. And that's not the last time we find that. Peter picks up on that, talks about it as well. With His stripes we are healed. His body lacerated, his back torn to shreds, and then put on that rough-hewn cross to hang there. Why? The Scripture tells us he was wounded. He was bruised. The word bruised means crushed. There was chastisement. And then it says, our peace. Our peace. The chastisement of our peace was laid upon Him, and with His stripes we are healed. I think we need to seriously consider that. It was for our peace that He suffered. We are healed. As Jesus healed from the wounds that was laid upon Him, He offers spiritual healing to the wounds that Satan has laid upon us, the wounds of sin in our lives and the effects of sin. Remember the question we're considering overall. Why did Jesus come to earth? I invite you to turn with me to Luke 4. Luke 4. Jesus began teaching. Jesus was tempted. He came out of the temptation triumphant. And He returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, the Scripture tells us. Luke 4, I'll begin reading at verse 14. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee, and there went out fame of Him through all the region round about. And He taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. 
And he came to Nazareth where he'd been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered to him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. And now this is Jesus reading. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, the recovering of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty them that are bruised. To preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and gave it again to the minister and sat down. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in all your ears. Jesus said, The prophecy of healing from Isaiah 61 is now being fulfilled in front of your very eyes and in your ears this day. The one who is promised has come. And I'm going back now to Isaiah 61. And I want to read com uh, the complete uh, set of verses that Jesus was quoting from. Isaiah 61.1 The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings to the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. They may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that He might be glorified. I'll stop reading there. What all did Jesus tell us that He had come to do? First, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And we see that in Luke. It said, Jesus came down from the temptation in the power of the Spirit. The Spirit was upon Him, and He ministered out of that power, out of the Spirit. And the Lord anointed Him to preach good tidings to the meek. He has sent Him to blind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to them that are bound. Does it sound a bit like a liberating force coming in and setting free those who have been taken captive by a cruel dictator. And there's oppression and there's effects of sin. You see that? The brokenhearted, the captives, to free those who are bound, letting an opening of the prison to them that are bound. Can you imagine the gratitude that flooded through the hearts of those Jewish people who were in those cages in the Nazi concentration?